very quiet transfer window. And because of that, I think we've decided not to go for a transfer topic because nothing's really hit the headlines over the last few weeks. Uh, and if you're watching, you'll obviously see we've got we've got a guest, Alex Harvey, uh, who works at, uh, at Sheridan's with uh, with Daniel G. And the, and the reason, uh, Daniel, that we're we're going into um, we're going into more legal matters this week is because uh, Kieran Trippier has been in the news, um, as well as Evan Edison Cavani a few a few weeks back, and we thought it'd be an interesting interesting topic. It's one I'm uh, saying in the preamble before we were speaking, um, before we come on air. I'm quite interested in this topic in the area that what governing bodies can regulate, can and can't regulate, and where where do they reach? So, um, Alex is the expert, and he's going to shed some light on it for us. Yeah, no. It's- very interesting one and there's been a few cases and, and, and matters over the last two or three weeks I guess the other one side of Christmas and the side of Christmas with Cavani and um and the Trippier matter um and it kept us busy in a way just for reading through for the significance of it in different ways because you know before getting into the detail the wider picture is is that you know players and we'll talk about it in a little bit of time can get involved in lots of different difficult disciplinary matters um especially with VAR and you know referees were dealing with particular matters but as significant as well and it's a big part of our practice to a degree is the whole compliance piece um on from an off-field perspective and it's something that Alex and myself and the rest of our team have been involved with across lots of different sports and that's effectively what happens when a player tweets something they shouldn't put something on Instagram like could have done um, and specifically in this case there's been issues Daniel Sturridge was one a little bit of time ago where he was given suspension for um, for matters involving a potential transfer away from Liverpool and it was the same um, with Kieran Trippier and the, the really cool thing generally I say cool is like you said where you're interested in things um, you know all of the matters are available to be able to read so you get so much really interesting detail in the case this one was i think about a 50 page case which went into quite a lot of detail and, and alex will bring us up to speed but it's got a lot of quite interesting nuances so alex very briefly or as much detail as you want to give you know i think everyone should be interested to know sort of what what why and what what and why this came around and um and and why it potentially get players into such particular and potential issues yeah so thanks for having me on um i guess the reason why it kind of came about firstly is with the fa's betting regulations they have pretty strict rules in in place about what players can tell um their friends their family about uh not only kind of transfer activity but stuff like whether they're picked for matches um and the reason why the FA has these rules in place is just protect the integrity of the sport. So for Kieran Trippier's um, example, his came about through his transfer from Spurs to Atletico Madrid in, uh, which I think summer transfer window of 2019. Um, and what happened was he was basically sending texts to his friends on certain WhatsApp groups and just individual WhatsApp messages um, to his mates about his, his transfer um, and they were they were asking about him about uh, whether it was going to happen, um, but what was probably the most important part of it was the fact that that Trippian knew or should have known that they were going to place bets on his transfer. Um, so some of the text messages um, from his friends were things like the betting odds 
of the Atletico transfer. So they were saying things like, oh, six to one odds, shall, shall I put it on? Um, and Trippi would, would reply saying, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. Or uh, I think he used the phrase lump on, which people uh, know refer to put the bet on. Um, so, yeah, under, under the betting regulations, what, it, what they essentially say is that you cannot provide inside information, uh, which is information that you know um, as a result of your kind of um, place in, in football um, that's not already out there in the media. Uh, you can't provide that to people um, and if you do then and they then put a bet on it then you'll be in breach of the regulations there is importantly a defense which says that if you had no reason to believe that they were going to place a bet then you won't be in breach of the regulations so for example if i was a, a professional football player and i told my best friend and my parents that i was going to move to liverpool um they would I, I, and then they went and put a bet on that happening, I wouldn't be charged or I'd, or I'd, I'd have a defence to a charge from the FA if I couldn't have known that they were going to place that bet. So if I had no reason to think that they were going to put, go and put that bet on, I'm not going to get in trouble for that. Um, but as I said, in, in Trippier's case, the issue for him was that his friends had been kind of discussing odds on that, that um, transfer move happening. So Trippier really should have known better and should have known not to provide them that in, inside information. And the interesting thing as well, Omar, that from when I read it as well, and I know Alex has spent quite a lot of time um, prepping and thinking about answers particular things, is there were actually quite a few FA charges that weren't proven mm. um, that the, the actual regulatory commission dismissed. Um, but in the end, there were quite a few that were proven. And then one of the issues actually became the um, the sanction, proportionality of the sanction, and you know how significant and substantive um, it needed to be, and and that's actually when we got into subsequently some quite novel um, issues. So, Alex, would it be possible just to shed a little bit of light on um, what the what the, the sanction basically was, and the sort of wrinkles in the system that have happened as a result? Yeah, sure. So the the, the sanction that the um regulatory commission decided to hand down was a 10-week ban from all football activity and I think it was a £70,000 fine um, and when they, when they gave the sanction they actually interestingly drew kind of similarities with the, with the Daniel Sturridge case which happened as you mentioned uh, I think a year ago or a couple of years ago um, and he was banned for I think three or four months and, and the commission in this case said that the trivia had acted essentially better than than Sturridge had. Um, he'd shown remorse for his actions um, and he'd also handed in his phone to the FA for them to look at through his WhatsApp messages and all of those kind of helped Trippier um, in, in his sanctions kind of um, severity. But they did still give him a 10-week ban, um, which I think the dates were the 22nd of December until the end of February 2021. Um, and what's kind of transpired since has been a bit of a regulatory minefield um, because essentially the, the FA as the English governing body does not have jurisdiction to apply their sanctions um, internationally. They can only apply it within England. Um, so what they had to do after the commission had handed down this, this sanction was to apply to FIFA, the international worldwide governing body um, 
to ask FIFA to give the sanction worldwide effect. And FIFA quickly came back and said, yes, we give it worldwide effect. So everything at that point seemed fine. The 10 week ban was in place and it applied worldwide. So Trippier was banned from playing um, in Spain for Atletico Madrid. Atletico then did something which I think the FA were not expecting, which was they applied to FIFA to have the worldwide effect of the, of the, of the sanction uh, essentially disapplied. Um, so they weren't, they weren't appealing against the FA's ban per se, they were just appealing against the worldwide effect of the ban. So the ban continued in England, but in reality that had no effect because he wasn't playing in England. And, and Atletico appealed to FIFA and FIFA said that pending them basically looking into Atletico's appeal, they would suspend um, they would suspend the suspension. So they would not give effect, they would not give worldwide effect to the suspension. So that means from the period of, I think the 22nd of December up until a few days ago when FIFA gave its decision, um, the worldwide effect of the ban essentially was not being applied. Um, so Trippier so was, yeah, exactly. He was free to play for Atletico um, during the early part of January. Uh, FIFA then came back, I think, on two day or a couple of days ago, a few days ago, and and said that they were rejecting Atletico's appeal, and that the sanction was therefore being given worldwide effect again. Um, it's now transpired, I think, a few hours ago this afternoon that Atletico have now taken it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is the kind of final appeal body that they can apply to, um, to appeal again the worldwide effect of the ban. Um, so it will be interesting to see kind of what the effect of of Atletico's appeal in CAS is and also whether the CAS decide to suspend the worldwide effect pending that appeal. Because if they do, then we'll be go back to the same position that we were in a couple of weeks ago, which was the bans continuing in England, but it's not applicable in Spain. Um, I have to say, Alex, it's not very often that I see Omar somewhat perplexed. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So I, I must admit, I hadn't followed it that closely. I'd seen kind of appeals and, on headlines and so on. Um, but re really interesting. And obviously, presumably, there's no real precedent for this, where we're obviously dealing with a player kind of moving um, internationally. What, like, how so the FA obviously applied the initial initial ban, which was, um, I suppose, validated by, by FIFA as a worldwide ban. How, how far can the FA reach with something like that? Because obviously, I suppose this involved an English bookmaker and one English club and an English player. If it was Trippier moving from Atletico Madrid to, I don't know, Espanol, would they have the same reach and remit? Could they decide to um, kind of place any sanctions based on that? Alex, do you want to, do you want to take that first? Yeah, so unless Dan wants to jump in and say the contrary, I, I don't think the FA would have jurisdiction over that particular matter because that would be that would be um Trippier moving from a club in Spain to a club in Spain whilst he's in Spain so I think it would only they basically only have jurisdiction over over players that are playing currently or playing for an English club at the time that the charges is bought exactly and if he was moving back to Spurs let's say from is that rare that's the interesting bit because the nuance at the moment is it's quite an outlier for the FA to be trying to enforce a sanction 
on a player that is no longer within its jurisdiction. Yeah. It happen very often. The, 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 one, the one time that people might remember from a few years back, which I wrote about and done deal a bit, was when Suarez was banned by FIFA for the Cellini bite, and then he subsequently moved to Barcelona. If you remember at the time, that ban was basically given worldwide effect, but it was effectively given worldwide effect by FIFA in a way through its own disciplinary body, if I remember correctly. The interesting thing here, which adds that nuance as Alex really you know, um, brilliantly set out, was the issue that the FA had is that there was actually a subsequent second hearing because the FA said, well, hold on a second. If FIFA have effectively suspended the, the, the sanction, pending the outcome, our suspension is ticking away, which mm. means that um, if we've only got a set time frame to be able to have them suspended up until the end of February, and but but effectively FIFA has suspended that time period, that should continue on post when the original um, suspended period should have commenced. And really interestingly, the end of that subsequent decision by the FA Commission was that um, that they didn't have that power to elongate, even um, based on FIFA suspension, and even if they did have the power, they wouldn't have elongated. <laughs> so um, again, the sort of really interesting point now is, uh, without wanting to confuse matters or complicate matters even even more, is that CAS may actually suspend the suspension again pending the substantive um, hearing that they have at CAS. And by the end of that period, it may actually be that the 10-week initial period has run out, which means that actually Trippier would be allowed to then uh, play uh, whilst the, the ban of the ban takes place. And then actually, from the FA perspective, um, is suspended. So the, the, in a way, seems little disincentive for um, Atletico to try and elongate out the cast process for mm -hmm. as long as possible um, because it means that they can retain the availability of Trippier. Now, to your point, you're exactly right. If he transfers back, one of the queries or one of the points that the, the FA Commission actually mentioned in their most recent um, point was that that might be detrimental to Trippier's chances of then making a move if they were to um, um, stretch the suspension even more widely back into what might be the jurisdiction that he comes back into effectively. So um, it, it's one that I don't think the FA foresaw. Um, it's one that Atletico have actually in a positive way and their lawyers gamed very well is the truth. Um, and actually, I think it will be, and I'd be interested in Alex's thoughts on this, I think the FA are likely to change their own rules to give their regulatory commissions the ability to be able to, to do that as a result. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because like you say, when, when the FA challenged when the FA challenged um, the they challenged FIFA's decision to suspend it. Oh no, no, they sorry, they they what they did was they um, they asked the regulatory commission, like you said, yeah, to to extend the dates of the ban. So that it, so that essentially it had effect, so that they would come into effect when either he moved back to England, or once Atletico's appeals had had run out, um, and yeah, the commission said that that they simply didn't have the power to do that. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they potentially amended their regulations um, to say that they can they can um, subsequently change the dates of the ban. But I think. 
it is a difficult one because the the commission made the point that if they were to do that and say this 10 week ban only comes into effect whenever you move back to England no English club is ever going to look to buy Trippier again or if they might do but it would severely dissuade any English club club from trying to buy him because they'll know that as soon as he comes back into England suddenly this 10 week ban comes into play. um so you can see why the commission didn't want to go down that route um even if it did have the power to do so which it it said it didn't. Omar, yeah. can I ask a question there just on a more broader topic as well? Because some of them, the discussion that happened afterwards um, in the media and across a lot of journalists and um, I was reading with interest quite a lot was actually the effort, I say efficacy, the, the attractiveness of betting markets involving player transfers is that, you know, is there something to be said for trying to, for the football authorities or otherwise um, to put stakeholders, to put pressure on, uh, bookmakers not to take those type of bets because ultimately what is happening is it is um, maybe a little bit of fun, but ultimately is, um, you know, putting in place a lot of pressure on players from a compliance perspective. I know this is, these are outlier positions, but, you know, is there, you know, is there something to be said for trying to um, restrict those particular betting markets? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I certainly won't profess to be an expert on this space, um, but you know, my understanding of those markets, so, you know, players next, players next club, or I think a very popular one is the, the next manager of Club X or, or whatever. The, the, the bookmakers don't have inside information on, on these. They, my understanding is that they put them out because they're a bit of fun. You know, they're a talking point. They get them in the media. They might attract new, uh, new punters to their, um, to their platform if they can offer, you know, decent odds on them. And it's just a way of getting people in. It's not really a market that they're kind of actively trading as, as a means to kind of generate massive margins, um, which, you know, make, does make you wonder, okay, what's what's the purpose of these? And, and particularly in the, the context of, you know, this Trippier case, you know, yeah, I, I totally understand the kind of rationale behind the ban in terms of providing inside information. And I suppose that the ban is as much around saying, footballers do not get involved in sharing inside information no matter what kind of sphere it's in don't get involved in, in sharing inside information but i think there is a difference between this type of market and a match itself where it might be a lineup or you know where you know famously i think it was like a matt Leticia throw in in the first minute and um, that he he um, obviously lumped on as well um i think there is a clear distinction there maybe that partly explains the kind of so-called kind of lighter ban of, of 10 weeks compared to several months um, that Daniel Sturridge had, um, but yeah, I think I think as a general principle, these types of markets they they don't impinge on sporting integrity. So a, you have to question the purpose of them being there at all. Um, but b, I think in the context of the Trippier case, you know, it feels to me like not a huge deal compared to obviously the big issue of of match fixing. Without wanting to get into kind of what about around um, the betting market. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I'd be interested to know on, on kind of any kind of experts on the betting market, betting market listening in on, on why those markets exist. I think the, um, the if, if we switch just briefly, I guess, because I know we, we in, in prep, we were talking about um, also discussing a couple of um, on-field disciplinary points that I know you wanted to, to raise and as lawyers, as two lawyers have spent um, two thirds of the time chatting about um, the intricacies of betting regulations and uh, cast procedural law. 
which might not be quite as attractive as uh, maybe some of the points you're going to mention. But yeah, we were, we were fascinated just in at least in the prep about some of your maybe bugbears on um, sort of on-field disciplinary matters, if it's yellow cards and if it's, um, um, you know, red cards after the end of matches or those type of things, just as a, um, as a means of some interesting blue sky thinking would be, be great to hear about. Yeah, this opportunity to come in off a long run up here um, and and kind of vent about suspension rules, which is such a small hill to die on um, in, in terms of, um, you know, things that are wrong with, um, you know, football or modern football or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I've got a real kind of be in my bonnet around the way suspension rules work. I think, I think the most obvious example is in, in World Cups and Champions Leagues and Euros where, you know, players accumulate, they, they have they have softened the rules. It used to be, you know, famously it was in Michael Balak and obviously Gaza who missed out in um, in 1990. I think it was Balak in the in the World Cup final in in 2002 who picked up two yellow cards in four matches and ended up missing the final. Which, when you think about it, is an absolute travesty. That Balak was one of the best players in the world at the time, and FIFA in their showcase event every four years have decided have effectively decided through their rules not to have. Had that player in the final, Pavel Nedved missed Champions League final in 2003. Um, you know, you know, Gaza potentially missing the final. I think, and, and no one would say that any of those players have been kind of dirty throughout the tournament and therefore deserve their bans. And I think it's kind of a bit of a nonsense that, and clearly the suspension rules didn't dissuade them from making a bad challenge or whatever. So there wasn't the disincentive um, to, to kind of avoid the avoid the yellow. So. For me, those kind of rules aren't necessarily working. You see them in in leagues as well. We have five yellow cards um, accumulate over over the course of the season, leading to a, a suspension, and then they get wiped after a certain period of time, and so on. Um, but the if you take the league ones in particular, you know, you're talking about five yellow cards over 19 matches. You know, a yellow card every four games hardly feels like a dirty player. You know, kicking someone every every game and uh, and getting punished. Um, and so, you know, there, there could have been a circumstance. I can't, I can't think of one that, that comes to mind in, in the last few days, but there could have been a circumstance with the Liverpool Man United game on the weekend where someone like Bruno Fernandes or Jordan Henderson or whoever missed the game because they happened to have received four yellow cards against Aston Villa, Man City, Crystal Palace, and Burnley over, over you know, the course of the season and had nothing to do with Man United. And that, again, would have been a travesty for. You know, show you know showpiece game probably the most watched game in the Premier League this season, um, and you're missing kind of two of the key players. Um, so, for me, that's that whole system isn't working in terms of player suspensions. Um, it's not penalising players for um, for dirty play. Um, and so, my solution to it is the is something around kind of repeat or consecutive offences. So, you know, if you if you have bookings in three consecutive games or four consecutive games, that kind of shows a level of um, ill-discipline, you know, repeated ill-discipline um, that, that should be kind of punished, um, uh, you know, by, by the league. But yeah, the, the concept of, of two yellows over five games in a tournament or five, five yellows over 19, I'm, I'm just not having it. What about also, because we talked about it before as well, and obviously Alex, feel free to jump in too, is... Um, that idea of um, a red card that either uh, was missed mm. um, during a game or occurs quite close to the end of game or after the game's actually finished. So it doesn't really benefit the team that the, the 
player in the, 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 the discipline club has played against, but obviously then potentially benefits future teams to the disadvantage of that, that club that they've just played. Yeah, I'll actually bring this background in my answer to um, to you both because there's an interesting case I'm picking to get your view on. But the, the one that springs to mind for me is Diego Costa, who got sent off against Arsenal probably like five or six years ago. Um, sorry, he didn't get sent off against Arsenal five or six years ago. He, he I think, headbutted someone during the game, but got away with it and then um, retroactively was banned. Now, I suppose you'd have that less now with VAR because VAR should be picking these things up. Uh, but there's still the possibility, I suppose, of, of bans after the game. And then Diego Costa got his ban after the Arsenal game, which was a big game at the time. You know, both competing for the league or the, for the top four. Um, Arsenal don't see any benefit for it. They lose 2-0, I think it was, probably um, uh, Drogba or someone, or probably Diego Costa getting the goals. Um, and then, you know, a few days later, Diego Costa gets his ban. He serves it against two lesser opponents, less important games. Less, You know, these games are six-pointers in many ways. They have big swings. Um and Arsenal see no benefit whatsoever other than Chelsea being slightly less likely to win against, you know, weaker opponents. And so for me, I, um, you know, the, the obvious solution is to have Diego Costa in that instance, uh, a part of his ban, all of his ban against Arsenal uh, in the future to recognise, you know, that Arsenal didn't, and didn't benefit in the, in the first instance. Um, but, but kind of speaking of bans that go over, I remember when Paul Pogba, and I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember when Paul Pogba signed for Man United, he was he'd been sent off, I think, in an Italian Cup match at the end of the season um, or Italian League match. And he actually had to serve two game suspension in English football, one of which I think might have been the Community Shield. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing, but how how joined up are these? Bod- like, is there is there anything that kind of connects, you know, the FA to the Italian FA to um, on all these things, or, or is there a lot of kind of making up as it goes along? I think, Alex, if I remember correctly, yeah, I think it can be the case that if you're serving a suspension in one league, depending on the type of um, competition that you've got the suspension in, it can um, it can cross over. It got me almost thinking about um, when players kind of can't play in particular games according to like, um, and then the strength of the competition in those subsequent games, and I'm changing topic completely now, but on the, um, on the, on the loan idea, so yeah. that you can't play against your uh, loan or club, which would obviously, if the player is good enough, would obviously then be to the benefit of the loan or club. Um, but then the loan E player can play against all of that loan or club's rivals to the benefit of the loan or club. Which then incentivizes then the idea of the the transfer actually happening to more than just the benefit of a monetary reward. Um, so I, I found that idea of sort of team strengthening or weakening as a result quite an interesting one too. Yeah, was it Asam Asaidi? I seem to remember scoring like a really important goal on loan from Liverpool against another top quarter. I'll have to look that one up, but yeah, it can, it can happen, and I think um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I think, look, these are at the margins when it comes to sporting integrity, right? They're not, I don't think they they kind of, no one sits there watching that competition going, this is ridiculous, that totally undermines, you know, the winner of the league or the top four team. But I think, I think for the kind of purposes of fairness that they, um, as a fan, you do want those things addressed to a greater or lesser degree, just because, um, you know, you'd like to think, particularly over the course of a league season, that things even out, even if they don't necessarily do so. 
Yeah, I think that booking point's an interesting one that I've never really even thought about to that extent, which is what's the point of the accumulated yellow cards? Is it simply for four, five disparate, what could be time-wasting or accidental or, you know, whatever types of events? Um, yeah, it's, it's going back to the, 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 the philosophy and the principle of why you're going to be suspended in the first place, really. So I think that's a really interesting one, which is, do you need to, do you need to be, get, have yellow cards three games running in order to get a suspension, which in a way might be tougher to some, but actually then much more lax to others, depending on whether you're a striker that doesn't go near tackles or a destructive centre midfielder or centre back that has to make tackles and last ditch um, events at different times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, there could be a rationale to split it out by position or, or something like that. But yeah, I think the um, the general principle of of players missing games for tri- trivial things like time wasting, I, I just don't don't buy it. And I think I think it's a really easy fix there. Yeah, two very last points as well. Um, Aria mentioned something which is completely right, which was, if you remember the Courtois situation where he couldn't necessarily play or didn't look like he was going to play against um, Chelsea for Atletico when he was on loan, but that obviously changed by a FIFA decision. Um, And Philip Draper from LinkedIn's actually just said that at the Euros, apparently players will receive a one-match ban after just two yellow cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. if there's an amnesty or after a certain amount but who, I think after the round of 16 they've introduced it so you get booked in the quarters and semis and you miss the final but it's like you know with those two bookings again like one of them could be a mistake and there's no rescinding of yellow cards uh, and the other one could just be a you know time wasting or kick the ball away and, and it just seems to me that if you're going to have as I mentioned earlier those examples of Nedved and Balak missing big games it just yeah that, that has a bigger impact on sporting integrity than um and kind of banning a player for that in the first place. Omar, we're at um, half seven as usual. It's flown by um, in most part because of uh, Alex's um, a very interesting um, and detailed explanation on um, everything Trippier related. So Alex, thanks for joining us. Hopefully um, all the image rights money will be in the post for the, um, for the appearance. And um, yeah, hopefully we can get you on again soon. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Really interesting. No, no problem. Thanks for yeah, having me on. Looking forward to catching up next week. We'll maybe try and get another guest on um, sooner rather than later and we can um, we can uh, have a think about some topics too. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Alex. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.